The year was 1803, and on a river's edge, a group of boats pushed off into the current. What had begun would be uh, one of the great adventures in American history. It's known as the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Under the authority and leadership of President Thomas Jefferson, two men and a big group of other men decided that they would traverse the American West that to that point had not really been explored by American citizens. This was an adventure of a lifetime. And you know what they had on them that was almost indispensable? It was maps. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a really good map. In fact, I love old maps. Uh, right here on my wall in my office is uh, one of the most special maps in the world to me for several reasons. My wife and my kids gave me this map on my 40th birthday just a few years ago. This map was made in the early 1900s, and it was uh, made for exploring and understanding the Mobile Bay. And, and the Mobile Bay is important to me because this is home to me. So if you look on that map, you can see uh, this place that we call home. You can see the coastline. You can see uh, a compass there. You can see uh, longitude, latitude. You can see things about currents in the water. This beautiful place that we call home is represented on that map. And for some reason, maps to me uh, are all about adventure. It's romantic. Uh, it is exciting. There's something about a map. Now look, I love GPS on my iPhone or on a smartphone. It's a really cool thing. It's very helpful. In fact, I'm not really good with directions, so having Siri tell me where to go is a huge help. But there's still something beautiful about a map. Well, what if I was to tell you that the maps that were indispensable to Lewis and Clark as they headed out west, uh, as indispensable as this map is to people who are in boats and ships coming up uh, Mobile Bay. What if I were to tell you that there's a map for you in your life? See, right now we're looking at the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. And during those 40 days, Jesus taught and appeared to his followers, and it was an amazing time. Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the part of that journey where Jesus gave his followers a map. And not just the followers that were there with him at that time, but he gave all of us a map. We're going to begin today looking at a group of scriptures that have been commonly known as the Great Commission. Let's take a look now. We're going to go to the book of Matthew, and we're going to go to chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. If, if you have your devices or your Bibles, go there with me. We're going to be using the ESV version today. Let's take a look. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is where Jesus gives us a map. A map to help us traverse what life is supposed to look like on the other side of the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything, but the big question that would have been on the disciples' mind and should be on our minds as well is, what now? Jesus died and came back from the grave. What do we do now? And Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. What is next for the church? What is next? And for you and I, when we come to Christ, when we give our lives to Him, what's next? What do we do now? Well, what we see is that Jesus 
what the Great Commission gives us. These verses we just read, he gives us a map. He unrolls it on the tabletop of our lives, and he begins to tell us what life should look like now. Lewis and Clark had an amazing adventure as they went out west. It was incredible, but it does not even compare to the adventure Jesus has for all of us because the resurrection, it changes everything. So many times I think we look at the Christian life like it's boring, uh, like there's not a lot for us to do, and there's way more that we are not supposed to do, and that is such a misunderstanding of the gospel. Jesus calls us into an amazing adventure, and when I look at an old map, it makes me think of adventure. A few years ago, I actually got to read the story of Lewis and Clark and their expedition out west, and it was amazing. But what was interesting to me is that they were just humans, just like these disciples we read about in the stories and the scriptures. Lewis and Clark were terrified. They were adventurous guys. They wanted to take the adventure, no doubt, but they were going into the unknown. There were animals that no one had ever seen. There were rivers that they didn't know where the waterfalls were and where the danger would be. They had no idea what they were getting into. So as any human would, there was fear. Well, guess what? There was fear with Jesus' followers as well. In fact, let's go back and look at verses 16 and 17, and look what it says. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. So they did worship Jesus. They went to where he told them to go, but it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting that we're, we're now to the, to the end of the 40 days? that Jesus was with them. Jesus has appeared to them. Jesus has talked to them, taught them, made them breakfast. There is undeniable evidence of the resurrected Christ standing in front of them. And yet, some of them are still wrestling with doubt. They're wrestling with doubt as to what all of this means. They're wrestling with doubt as to what is next. They are still doubting. Now, on one hand, we could go, what are they thinking? But i got to be honest with you, I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old. I'm a 42-year-old man now. I still wrestle with doubt. I still wrestle with failure. I still wrestle with fear when I should be confident and strong. Sometimes I look at the map of the adventure Jesus has for my future, and sometimes it scares me to death. And you know what? That's part of the experience. And what I love about this picture we just get is that Jesus is inviting them to follow him. These are the people he's going to turn the world upside down with, and they're still struggling with doubts and fears. And that's true of us. And what I do see here is that even though some of them were still struggling, still fearful, still doubtful, they still obeyed. He told them to go to that mountain in Galilee, and they did. 
And see, sometimes what we have to do is not wait until we've got it all nailed down completely and that we are strong and confident and courageous. Sometimes you just got to get in the boat. Lewis and Clark had no idea what was coming, but they still got into the boats and they pushed off from the shore into their adventure. You know what? Sometimes we have to do the same. If you wait until you've got it all nailed down and you wait until you feel like you are perfect and ready to go, guess what? You'll never get in the boat. Jesus calls us to follow him with our doubts, with our fears, with our uncertainties. He'll work with that. He'll grab you by the hand and walk you into the map of your life, into the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. One thing about Lewis and Clark is before they could go on the expedition, what you may not know is it began in 1803, ended in 1806, but it took two years to get ready for it. You don't just take a great adventure like that without lots of preparation. Well, the same is true of the Great Commission for all believers. Jesus is about to tell us to go into the map of the global world. He's going to tell us what we are to do, but before he does that, he has to help us prepare. And how does Jesus prepare us for the greatest adventure of our lives? He establishes his authority. So Jesus, to prepare his followers for the future that he had for them, the mission, the great adventure known as the Great Commission, to send them all over the world. To do that, he established his authority. Listen to how he said it. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. This is a stunning statement from Jesus. It is a stunning statement about his authority, about his power. This is one of those statements that you either believe it or you don't. In fact, you can divide the world into people that either submit to the authority of Jesus or they don't believe that authority is real. They don't believe that it is valid. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is in total authority. And before Jesus sent us out into the map of our lives, He tells us that nowhere we go in this world will He not be in control. He's in control everywhere. Jesus says there's not a spot on a map. You can put your finger anywhere on the global map you want, and He will be in charge. Jesus says that He has all authority. Now, that's a tough statement. If you wonder why Jesus was crucified, it was for making statements like that. This isn't the first time He talked like this. Jesus said that He was God over and over again. Jesus claimed to be a king. Even when Pilate, uh, the Roman governor, questioned Him, Jesus said, yes, I am a king. I have a kingdom. It's not of this world, but absolutely I am a king. The, the, the truest thing that the Romans ever did the day they crucified Jesus was the sign they put on His cross. This is the king of the Jews, and He absolutely was. But not just king of the Jews. The Bible tells us that Jesus is king over all. The book of Philippians makes another stunning statement. It says that Jesus has been highly exalted and bestowed upon Him is a name above all names. Jesus Christ, humiliation of the cross, the beatings, the torture, the nakedness, total humiliation, that's over now. And the resurrected Jesus is now talking to us and He says, I am in authority. See, the empty tomb changes everything. But see, when it comes to total authority, we have a really hard time with that, don't we? Like here in the United States, and I am so glad to live here. We have the greatest country in human history, if you ask me. But even here in the United States, we do not like total authority. In fact, we are so wary of it that we created a governmental system that divides power, and I'm glad we did. It's an important thing to have division of power when you have human sinners running things. Now, you don't want normal humans having total power. So what do we do? We divided it. We have a judicial branch, 
All right, we have a, uh, an executive branch, and then we have a legislative branch. And we split the government up that way because we didn't want all the power in one place, and it creates checks and balances. And let me tell you, that's a wise system when you have sinners, when you have imperfect people running things. We need to check and balance one another. But Jesus says, the resurrected Christ says, I have total authority. He doesn't apologize for it. He establishes that authority. And you either believe that or you don't. Jesus tells us as believers, we're going to have to understand that we are now people under authority. It's interesting, when you look at the Lewis and Clark expedition, they had uh, an incredible amount of authority that had been given to them. By who? By Thomas Jefferson, one of our greatest presidents. He gave them what most historians say is one of the greatest blank checks in American history, maybe human history, because he basically gave them uh, a letter, notification that said anything they wanted, anything they needed, anything they needed to purchase, the United States would back them up financially. Whatever they needed, they got it. That's pretty incredible, right? But it wasn't Lewis and Clark's authority. Wherever they went out west, they walked underneath that authority, but it wasn't their authority. They were under the authority. They had the confidence of. They had an adventure they were going on, and they could be confident in it because they were under the authority of Thomas Jefferson, the President of the United States. And Jesus says to us as we push off from the shores, into the adventure he has for us, Jesus says, I have authority wherever you go. I am in charge. Now, why is this important to us? Well, before we can go make disciples, we have to be disciples. And I bet you're like me. I bet you struggle sometimes with the total authority of Jesus. See, I think we are all very comfortable with Jesus being our Savior, but are we comfortable with him being our King? And let me help you understand, to be a disciple, you have to have Jesus as both. You can't have Jesus just be your Savior, but you're still in charge. That's not being a disciple of Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus is when you look at Him and you push all the cards to the middle of the table and you submit to His authority. It means that you say, Jesus is now my King, and kings tell you what to do. And in my own life and in others that I've watched, I find that this is a very hard thing for us. So let me ask you right now in your living room, on the boat, in your car, wherever you are right now, Who's in charge of your life? I didn't ask when you walked an aisle or when you said a prayer. I want to know right now, who is in charge in your life? If Jesus is your Lord, then He has to be your King. And the question is, do you submit to His authority? Because Jesus says here, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. That means in heaven, He's in charge. It means on earth. He's in charge, and if we are followers of Christ, we have a king, and we're not in charge anymore. The question I have for you right now, who is in charge of your life? So when it comes to the authority of Jesus, we all struggle with it. If you are without Jesus, then you hate total authority, and it may be the thing keeping you from following him. But if you have followed Jesus, if you've made him your, your savior, you must learn to follow Him as your King. You must learn. It's a process to submit to Him. And one thing we can do is we can begin to celebrate His authority in our lives rather than uh, begrudge it, we actually embrace it. And what I want to invite you to do right now is I want you to sing the song that we are about to sing together. It's all about the authority of Christ. If you don't know the song, then I encourage you for a few moments as we sing it to listen to the lyrics 
and celebrate them. As you hear these beautiful words about the authority and sovereignty of Jesus, which He Himself established, I want you to celebrate His power and authority in your own life. Let's do that together right now. Oh 
So Jesus establishes his authority in our lives, and we celebrate that. But then he begins to give us the map, the map for what is next. Let's take a look at the next verse. Uh, verse 18, he establishes his authority. And then in verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make. The two big words I see in that little statement is go and make. And really the emphasis is on make more than it is go if you look at the way the language works there. So let me give you the idea when you put it all together because I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding. First of all, this commission is for all believers, not just some, not just for the missionary, but also for the mom and the dad. It's not just for the guy on the stage. It's also the guy working at the school and working at the shipyard. It's all believers are commissioned to go and make. So when you put the verbiage together, when you kind of look under the hood of the, of the original language there, what you get is the idea of as you go, make. As you live, you're making disciples. You're making. And, and what make kind of denotes is the idea of a process. This means that I go every day, as I go, as I live my life, I am to be making disciples. And I do that in how I father my three kids, in the kind of husband I am to my bride, my wife, the kind of pastor I am, the kind of leader I am to the staff that I, that I serve at Three Circle Church, my friends that I hang out with, sitting around a campfire, going fishing together or hunting or uh, coaching baseball. Everything I do in my life and your life would sound a little different than mine. That's the beauty of the Great Commission. It's as you go, as you live, you should be making, go and make disciples. So Lewis and Clark, they had a specific mission to go and find an all-water route to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, well, there are some where Jesus is very specific. Uh, he tells them, here's where I want you to go. I know people who God has sent them to India. God has sent them to Africa. God has sent them to the ends of the earth. The, the apostles that originally heard this commission, they all left. But do you know where it started? It started right there in their homes. It started right there in Jerusalem. So what I want you to understand is the Great Commission is for all believers. It just looks different for all believers. It looks different for a stay-at-home mom. It looks different for a lawyer in Mobile. It looks different for a ship worker at Austell. But all of us have a commission as we go, as we work, as we play, as we live life, as we raise kids, as we're married, as we do this thing, this great adventure called life. As we walk the map that Jesus has given us, we are to make disciples. But that begs a very crucial, important question. It's a question that has vexed, I feel like, ministries for uh, as long as you could imagine. It's one of those things that seems to confuse people, and I don't think it has to. And it's this question, what is a disciple? Well, Jesus helps us understand this in verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. First of all, we see that a disciple is one who learns from Jesus. A disciple learns from Jesus, teaching them, it says. This means that not only are we to teach people what Jesus has commanded us, and by the way, we have the Word of God to show us that, but it also means we ourselves must come under the authority of the teaching of Jesus. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that as we traverse the rivers of our lives, we have a teacher. We're now the pupil. He is the professor. He's the teacher. And we learn from him primarily through the scriptures. This means that you are not in control of your own truth anymore. I hear that statement a lot uh, in our world today, that you have a version of truth. I have a version of truth. 
not the case when it comes to the authority of Christ. He defines truth for us. He teaches us. And when He teaches us, He'll show us a few things. Number one, He'll teach us that we are bigger sinners than we thought we were. That's tough, but it's part of learning from Jesus. He'll also teach us that our biggest problems are inside of us, not outside of us. It's not a change of circumstances we need. It's a change of our hearts. But finally, and most powerfully, Jesus will teach you about Himself. The Bible tells us that Jesus invites us to come to Him. All of us who are weary and heavy laden, He'll give us rest. But then He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. God Himself, the Father, said over Jesus, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then He said, listen to Him. So the first step of being a disciple is not what you do. It's what you learn. A disciple learns from Jesus. And my question to you today is, who is teaching you? If you're a disciple, Jesus is your teacher. So the second part of being a disciple is one who confesses Jesus. A disciple confesses Jesus. Another way to say it would be a disciple commits fully to Jesus. A true disciple puts the cards to the middle of the table and says, I am all in. And the way Jesus commands us to do that, while we make disciples and while we ourselves walk as disciples, is that we are to be baptized. Baptism is the beginning point of obedience. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian, but it tells the world that you are. And my question to you today is, if you are a believer, number one, have you been baptized? And if you have been, do you see that for what it is, the beginning point of your walk of obedience, the beginning point of your submission to the map of Jesus in your life? But if you're a believer today, watching from wherever you are, and you've never been baptized, I would ask you, why not? Are you ready today to submit to the authority of Christ, not just in your heart, but publicly? Jesus commands us to be baptized, and very soon at Three Circle, we'll be able to baptize again. And my question is, will you be willing to take that step of obedience? Because if you're not willing to follow Jesus in baptism, what other parts of your life will you be unwilling to follow Him in? What about sexuality? What about how you handle money? What about marriage? What about the way you parent? What about your your morals, the way you love your neighbor, will those be ruled by Christ or are you going to go your own way? And see, a disciple doesn't get to make up their own truth. We don't get to shape God in our own way. We have Jesus in all authority as our teacher and we must confess Him publicly in baptism. So my question today is, if you're a disciple, have you publicly confessed Jesus? It reminds me of signing day when it comes to college athletes. You'll see that they'll have a lot of hats on the table, and then they'll pick a hat and put it on, and they commit to the college of their choice. It's a really big deal. My question to you is, have you actually put on the hat? Have you actually said, I'm all in with Jesus and made a public profession of your faith? The beginning point of that is baptism. A disciple confesses Jesus. Lastly, a disciple obeys Jesus. A disciple obeys Jesus. This means we don't just learn because you can have information and not follow it. You can have an instruction manual and not actually use it. I, I do that all the time. In fact, often I get off of the map when I'm traveling somewhere and I always get in trouble. The question is, not only do you have a map, but will you follow it? Will you obey it? Jesus gives you the learning, the teaching. And if you confess Him publicly, that is a beautiful, awesome thing. But now my question is, right now, in your walk with Christ, are you obedient? A true disciple obeys Jesus. He says, teach them wherever we go, as we go, make disciples, teach them to observe all that He has commanded. In another place in the Scriptures, Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my commands. 
Jesus attaches our love for him to our obedience. Obedience is the sign of authentic faith. So my question to you today is, are you obedient to Christ? Is he in charge? Is he your king? And your answer is probably going to be like mine. Sometimes. Sometimes I'm obedient. And, and what I want you to understand is that means that you are in process. So my question is not, are you in perfect obedience? My question is, is the needle moving in your life? Are you becoming more obedient? Are you becoming more submissive to Christ? As you learn, do you obey? As you see more on the map, do you follow it more? Lewis and Clark had no idea where they were headed when they headed out on that river that day. But they kept following what they saw in front of them. They kept taking the next step. And my question to you today in your walk with Christ, are you making progress in obedience? Because a disciple doesn't just learn, doesn't just confess. A disciple obeys Jesus. And as a church, we must not just get converts to the faith, we must disciple people. And discipleship looks like teaching people the Word of God and helping them learn to obey. That's a arduous, hard, long process but it is the work God has given us to do. It's a journey. In fact, you could say Christianity is full of moments that lead to movement. Moments of faith, moments of eyes opening to the spiritual realities of Christ that then begin a movement, a lifelong movement of growing in our obedience to Christ. My question is, have you had a moment that now has become movement in your life? The Lewis and Clark Expedition was one of the greatest adventures in American history. We read about it. It's been written about so many times. What I love about it is that it's not just the Lewis expedition, not just the Clark expedition. It's the Lewis and Clark. Thomas Jefferson was smart enough to know that they needed to go together because when the river got rough, when the going got tough, they were going to need one another. They did not need to be alone, and you are not meant to be alone either. And I love that at the end of this great commission where Jesus tells us what we need to be doing with our lives, what's next after the resurrection, what should we do every day? Now we know that we should go and make, go and make disciples, being disciples, making disciples. But Jesus gives us a promise in the end. He says, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, Jesus says, I'm getting in the boat with you and you will never be alone. You'll never go anywhere. In fact, you will never go anywhere on the map of your life without Jesus. If you're a disciple, Jesus is with you, and He is with you always. So my friends, I want to invite you on the greatest adventure of your life. Push off from the shore. Get in the boat. You don't know where it's leading, but you do know this. You do know that no matter where it leads, you will not be alone. Let us be disciples, learning from Jesus, confessing Jesus, and obeying Jesus. And may we make disciples in our homes, in our workplace, in our churches, and all over the world. Jesus is with us, so let's follow the map and take the greatest adventure of our lives.